drinking our hands Hello, this is Unchecked Identity. I'm Michelle Stewart. And I'm Natalie Briere. We are Boston-based artists. I'm a writer and I work primarily with spoken word poetry. And I am a singer-songwriter and a guitarist. We started this podcast to build a community where we can talk with creatives of all forms and explore the gray area of creative identity. We'd also like to use this platform as a space to perform our own pieces as well as invite guests to talk about their experiences as creatives and share their own work. In this first episode, we'll talk about our own personal experiences, and at the end, we'll each perform a piece for you beautiful people. Stay tuned for future episodes to hear from our special guests and experience their work as well. First episode, go, go, go. Um, All right, so I'll start with you, Nat. How has art contributed to your identity? So um, in many different ways, I started singing when I was in elementary school Mm -hmm. and I was kind of testing the waters, just wanted to see how it would feel. I wasn't good at sports. I felt like I wasn't good at academics. Relatable. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I decided to be in a school talent show and something really clicked. Mm-hmm. Um, not only did it seem to click for myself, but it also seemed to click for the audience. Nice. And that was a really accepting feeling that mm-hmm. I just didn't have when it came to academics or being an athlete. So the second I felt that connection that people were proud of me in that way, it's something that drew me um, to that art form. And then from there, singing really was kind of a backbone and foundation throughout um, high school and then college. Um, I consider music like one of my best friends, um, especially in times of depression or loneliness. Mm -hmm. Music has always had my back in the different ways of like listening to music or playing music and I've totally evolved from like Broadway. I used to be obsessed with Broadway and that was because I felt so connected to these characters and the struggles that they experienced of um, being true to themselves. And I think Broadway does that for a lot of kids growing up. It gives them this way to connect to other people who feel different. And um, I totally obsessed over Broadway. I would lock myself in my room and just learn the entire musical of In the Heights or Chicago or Wicked. Yeah. (laughs) And um, not only did it build up my vocal ability, but it made me feel better. It was a form of therapy. Um, And so music in my identity now, it's always changing. Um, You know, I took a step back from kind of Broadway in college and I started doing acapella and studying anthropology and really tried to dip into learning about not only myself in society but other people's lived experiences in society and that was really interesting and um, is also deeply connected to art because that was one thing that I loved about musicals because I was seeing someone else's experience. I was connecting to someone else's experience. And so anthropology 
somewhat captured that. And I think that's why I was okay switching majors at that point. And I switched sophomore year. I decided to stop musical theater and study anthropology. Um, Wow, that's a bold choice. It was huge. And I, it was so crazy because I was talking to so many different people. And um, it's so interesting because I was talking to mentors, people who are opera singers, and I got so many different mixed messages And it was really confusing to me um, because a lot of people were saying there's no money in music. You know, you should do something else. And then there were other people who were genuinely concerned for my well-being. Like my parents were like, Mm. you only love music. Like, are you okay? Yeah. Are you And they're not musicians. They didn't take an artistic route career-wise. No, no. My dad was a lawyer and my mom was a phlebotomist and pause. <laughs> I never knew that your mom was a phlebotomist. I also have no idea what that Yes. Was. I love that word because I really didn't know what that word was either and genuinely wouldn't know if my mom had not been one. You said um, it so comfortably. I've never heard a word roll off someone's tongue. Phlebotomist. Phlebotomist. <laughs> I'm learning two new words right now. Phlebotomist. <laughs> one word. And phlebotomy. Phlebotomy. Is yes. Good. Yeah. So can we get a, a textbook definition? Yeah. So it is someone who draws your blood, not in like a creepy vampire way. Although my mom and her office would dress up as vampires during Halloween. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> the yes. greatest thing I've ever heard, actually. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I really like going back to what you said about anthropology and musicals mm-hmm. um, because. I think musicals are, it's such an explosion of art. It's not just the music, right? It's the production and the acting, everything down to the clothes and even makeup. I don't, I didn't grow up like um, admiring musicals. Mm -hmm. I couldn't really, maybe I wasn't exposed exactly Mm -hmm. in the right way. And also I just didn't really see myself in those characters, Mm -hmm. which is not true for everyone, for sure. Mm -hmm. Could you just speak a little more before we move on? Mm -hmm. about anthropology and musicals and like how you made that connection in your brain? Musicals historically are extremely whitewashed. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of what I could identify with was people who did look like me. Um, They also really capture a lot of the community that can be outcasted in different ways, whether it's through their sexuality, gender, um, or just their interests and, and likes. Um, musicals capture a lot of hope that um, you sometimes don't see in the realistic world. Mm -hmm. And that's the funny thing is like anthropology will look at, um, you know, structurally how the world functions based on policies and based on um, the the way societies have developed. And it, it just, that's what it focuses on. But musicals, I don't know, they encapture the feelings that people mm. can experience in anthropology, but then they can twist them in different ways. And they generally end up on a hopeful note. I really can't think of like one musical where you left and you were like, I feel like a piece of shit. <laughs> like, uh, and I mean, I haven't seen a lot of musicals. I did not grow up in New York City. So it wasn't like Broadway shows weren't really a thing but um you know like some of the local theaters 
or uh, some of the shows I did see in New York, like they end on this happy note. And um, I remember in one of my classes, uh, I was working with this woman who has, I think they raised money um, for an organization in India. And she was talking to some of the kids who were part of this organization and the kids love the musical Wicked. And she was always like, why Wicked? I don't know, do you know Wicked? It's one of the ones where people love to scream sing in the car. Yes, it's love like it. Dina Menzel. She just gets yeah. in your soul. Yeah. So that's how I've heard it. Yeah. But it, and a lot of these kids would say like, it, it gave them hope that, you know, you could, I mean, Alphaba's whole situation was that people didn't like her because of the color of her skin, because of the way that she was born. Oh, that's really interesting. I never thought yeah. that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, everyone thought that she was ugly and that she wasn't going to really amount to anything. And she kind of believed that herself in the beginning. But then she has a lot of these really powerful songs, um, you know, like her dreams, like when I meet the wizard, like she's like, I'm going to meet that guy. I'm like, <laughs> we're going to have a conversation about this. And she does. Like, um, you know, it's the history of the Wicked Witch of the West, who has a really fascinating history that yeah. isn't just based on the fact that she's evil. Right. That she's the bad guy. Yeah. And the antagonist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what musicals do. Like, they take real life situations and, you know, they're, they twist it. Yeah. And maybe like a deep dive a little more. Yeah. So, Michelle. I would like to hear uh, your response to how has art contributed to your identity? Yeah. Um, you know, it's I a big question. question. Yeah, like throughout, throughout the week, I've been thinking of this question, I'm like, man, it's so loaded. It's such a so loaded much. question. You can say so many things too, like depending on the day. Which I think is what I love um, about this idea and us having this conversation is, yeah how vast it can go and like how deep it can go. But I'll start with my history of finding art and like mm -hmm. how you put that. I grew up in the church, in a Brazilian church to be exact, a Brazilian Christian Protestant church. Uh, so art was deeply entangled in the way that we um, praised God and like expressed our love for God. Mm -hmm. Uh, and my family was like really, really into it. Mm -hmm. So at a really young age, my mom put me center stage singing, dancing. I learned how to play the keyboard, but it wasn't just me. It was like all the kids in the congregation were really pushed to, mm -hmm. to practice art. And thinking back, that's actually a really cool thing to do, despite all of the complications that I have with mm -hmm. the institution of religion. Um, and I'm not a Christian anymore, but I think it was great to, at a young age, have a space to practice and express not only one, but so many different art forms. Yeah. Like I have memories practicing choreography, making up my own choreography when yeah. I was like 10 years old. Wow. We would go to our friend's apartments and we had like a crew, yeah. <laughs> a dancing crew. From um, everyone from this church. Everyone from the, shout out to Amanda Markell, my friend. <laughs> she was in this dance crew. We have very very old 2000s photos of us like there was an auntie in the church that would sew costumes for yeah. us it was so it was like a big deal yeah um so I remember going to friends apartments and practicing choreography to musics on cds uh and 
also simultaneously I would go home every day from school and I would sing I yeah. used to sing when I was younger yeah before my voice you know before I got older my voice cracked lies <laughs> lies um so I would sing every week and uh, I just looking back now I didn't realize at the time but it was such an integral part of my survival mm-hmm. and how I coped with everything around me yeah um growing up was not easy my mother was undocumented for a really long time um my father left when I was really young and I think church for my mom was a community and a space where she could feel loved and kind of you know pick up her emotional baggage and like figure it out she actually wears a ring uh, on her wedding finger. Mm-hmm. It's a ring that says Jesus. And wow. so a long time ago, she kind of like committed her heart to Jesus. Yeah. And I think that was her way of coping with the divorce and coping with having two kids, two young kids um, and being left in a country that she doesn't know the language well. Mm-hmm. She's not a citizen here and she had to figure it out. But we had this community where a lot of people related to that and mm-hmm. had that same, it was, mostly all Brazilian people. Um, And I I remember I would go home and, you know, when I was sad or there was a lot that like wasn't explained to me at the time, but I would always sing. And I have a lot of memories like singing and crying. And so Mm. as a kid, I just, I don't know how, but simultaneously put coping and processing through emotions and expressing myself Mm -hmm. by either singing or dancing or whatever I was doing, I would do them at the same time alone. Yeah when I wasn't doing it at church. Yeah. Um, and then I, as I got older, I, I've always written too. I've always written my thoughts and feelings. And I actually learned Portuguese largely by rewriting the Bible in Portuguese. Really? To English. Yeah. That's wow. how I practice because yeah. like, I didn't go to classes or anything like that. Yeah. My grandmother would send me grammar books from Brazil. Yeah. And so I would also like copy those over. And I was just always really entangled like in school. I loved learning mm-hmm. and I loved writing. Everything yeah. I did, I wrote down and like everything. I have so many journals from when I was a kid, which wow. are really That's hard to read. <laughs> like the fact that you, that you have that moment in your time, that moment in your life documented in such a way like it is it's weird yeah because yeah. they're yeah. weird moments they're not like the moments I remember always yeah you know? and it's kind of hard for anyone who journals and has been journaling for a long time it's kind of hard to crack open a journal again I know it's kind of cringy mean. it's like yeah. oh man what was I doing and like <laughs> I have journals from when I was eight and my eight-year-old thoughts are weird <laughs> and I thought they were worthy enough to write down but um But as I got older, I think I refined my writing Mm -hmm. and I felt a connection to Black female writers Mm -hmm. more than any other writers at a young age. Um, Bell Hooks especially resonated with me in high school and Mm -hmm. and throughout college. Um, And so that's when I started kind of refining my art and finding a community within like authors because identity is something that I still struggle with and has been like complicated in my life Mm -hmm. being someone who's born in America with Brazilian parents American Brazilian Brazilian American um and and feeling not exactly accepted in either culture I know a lot of people relate to that 
And I feel like I'm still figuring out like, yeah. what that means for me. And writing, creating poetry is how I, I think most like effectively do that. Yeah. Emotionally, you know? Yeah. yeah. You like, there's so much in that that you just said. And it's so interesting to hear this because I mean, I didn't know all this either. And we are roommates, but um, it's kind of crazy you talk about this whole evolution of being part of a church and singing and that was your form of expressing yourself and coping and then into writing and really feeling a, a connection with these black female authors yeah. and it's so wild and and beautiful in a way to see like your artistic identity shifted throughout your whole life and in kind of like you journaled your whole life, but in very different ways in a way, like reading at that yeah. one stage more and then um, starting with singing. Like, it's interesting it's that evolution <laughs> of identity and being an artist at the same time. Yeah. And I also thought it was interesting, like your experience being in a church and appreciating certain things about the church. Yeah, yeah. It was really beautiful when I was young and I was kind of, um, kept away from a lot of the realities of the community and congregation mm -hmm. and kind of the ugly pieces of it, right? Because when yeah. you're a kid, you don't completely understand like socially what's happening. You're just put in situations and you kind of either have a good time or a bad time. And that's like how you evaluate. <laughs> yeah, you're like rolling back. <laughs> you're like, let's see how we feel in this situation. And then you just always feel like weird, <laughs> um, or at least I did, I don't know. But uh, I think as you get older and you start seeing the relationships of the adults mm -hmm. and how that gets complicated mm. I actually won't get too into that this episode I don't think I'm yeah. ready to get into that yeah. but I do want to say that I think we're all born artists that's something mm. I really wanted to elevate in this conversation yeah so maybe to shift to that, that because is a great statement. I truly believe that we all our brains are all capable of creating we all we all create every single day and art is such a vast um, field and space and creating can mean so many different things. Right? Yeah. And that's true. Who's to say like, who is to determine the value of your art? I mean, I think artists debate this all the time, but like even those who don't want to define certain things as art, you know, like if you take athletics, for example, mm -hmm. some people really might not like to associate the word art with athletics, mm -hmm. while others might really associate athletics with the, with the word art. Yeah. And who's to say, you know, how something makes you feel inside can be one word versus the mm -hmm. other. Like who determines that line of artistry versus um, cooking, artistry versus, yeah. uh, I'm trying to think of other examples that, you know, don't really get, used with the word art. art I think money does I think capitalism dictates mm. that I think it's you know when when you talk about like in art forms and mediums like painting yeah there's um higher more elevated forms of painting yeah my language is going to be really lacking because I'm not Say a painter it. <laughs> but um you know what what gets put into museums and why mm. what gets sold and why and who who are the art critics critics that are 
defining, you know, what is more valuable, what piece of art is more valuable than another piece of art. What's deemed beautiful. What's deemed beautiful. That's a great, also a great point. So many beautiful things have been destroyed mm-hmm. because, I mean, because of literal governments yeah. destroying that form of art. Um, and it's not even that it was deemed beautiful, it was deemed dangerous. Yeah, I just thought of Chile, actually, Chile's revolution. Mm-hmm. When Pinochet took over and they became a fascist regime, yeah. so much art, including videos of the evolution of the fascist government taking over yeah. were taken and destroyed. Yeah. Exactly why? Because they were dangerous and 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 free. They represented freedom, yeah. right? When you really get down to it. And so that's a really interesting t- thing too. Like mm. we're if we're born artists, which I truly believe, mm-hmm. then we're born with this like innate sense of freedom of expression. And as we get older, s- systems within our society kind of crush that inside of us and tell us that certain forms of expression are lucrative. We grew up in a capitalist system, you and I, so I'm gonna be referring to capitalism a lot. Um, You know, as we get older, we get told what's more lucrative. Your parents were worried for you. People in your community were telling you you weren't gonna make money. It's really interesting that that is, and that's valid. Like, I think those are actually caring things that came from a caring place. But when you really dig deeper into that, what they're saying is it won't be valued enough for Mm -hmm. you to have livelihood, for you to live your life and be like a successful, healthy person, Yeah, which is really sad. And I think that happens at a really young age, actually, going through the school system for better, for worse, for what it is. The school system, I think, contributes largely to crushing the creativity in our minds and therefore crushing our ability to have that innate freedom yeah that was so much um (laughs) no but what you said about art being freedom you know I think that's so that's such a statement because I guess I compare a lot of things to sports because I didn't have like the best experience Mm -hmm. with sports but you know you have your coach And you have a plan with your team and like you all have to coordinate together to accomplish that goal. Um, But there's a hierarchy there. Not only that, you have a team captain, you have like different people who go in, you have people who don't go in at all and they sit on a bench, like (laughs) my personal experience. Is that freedom? And then when you see like an art class, so you have a teacher, so you have someone who has taught you how to um, use the tools. Yes, Mm -hmm. use the tools, something like that. But then I feel like at the end of that sentence, it's it's art. That's your freedom. That's your right. ability to create. Right. It's always in the end. And I have to remind myself this all the time mm-hmm. because I really struggled with being like, art doesn't have a form. Art doesn't have a perfection. Art doesn't have a specific way that it needs to be. That's the beauty of art. It's entire, it's the epitome of freedom. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I think what you're also touching upon is the ability to expand your imagination. Mm. Like what's the bandwidth of your imagination Yeah, and why, and how do you, you can choose to feed your imagination. Um, or unfortunately you can do, I think, repetitive things that maybe cripple it. Yeah. Imagination in my opinion, or in my experience comes from exposure mm. to, to newness or exposure to new feelings. Yeah. Right? 
so I guess when I say too that society tends to cripple our ability to keep creating, it's really crippling our ability to imagine. When you create something, you're trying to push boundaries, yeah. I think, and tear those walls of like how far my imagination can go. And it can be really frustrating and hard. Like you shared with me this past week that you felt like you had writer's block, although now we're reevaluating that term. Shout out to Ocean Vaughn. <laughs> yes. Um, but, you know, that that can be hard because what you're really facing is the the extent mm. of your imagination that day or that hour or that minute. Yeah. And that's not going to stay that way forever, but it's a practice, I think. I would like love to dig into, I don't know, exercises or, mm. you know, I don't know if you have techniques that you might take if you are experiencing that boundary, yeah. you know, when you sense it or when maybe you don't fully experience it, but you can feel it coming on in mm. a certain way. Do you, do you, do you recognize that before or does it sometimes like hit or does it, do you take certain steps? Are you asking steps? me personally? Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh my God. Um, honestly, no, I'm not good at that. I was just talking to my partner earlier today about how I feel like my writing is really lacking. Really? And I'm proud of the writing that I do, but I haven't been doing the work. Mm. Like, I think that's also a part of being a creator is doing the work. And as a writer, reading has always been married to my ability to write. Mm -hmm. And I think I've done my best writing, yeah. even pieces of like, you know, like papers in school. I've been so proud of when I'm deep diving into, into the reading, yeah. whatever that topic is that I'm reading about. And I think I've been hitting more roadblocks, if you will, like imagine imagination roadblocks. Yeah, I don't know. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> because I haven't been reading as much due to anxiety and um, mm. honestly, like I get anxiety picking up a book these days. Yeah. I don't know if that's like from college plus the situation that we're in right now. It's really hard to sit still right now. Mm -hmm. And it's affected my writing in like a really deep way. So I guess to answer your question, one mm -hmm. of the things I know I can do mm -hmm. is read and connect to the authors mm -hmm. that I feel mentally and emotionally as my mentors. Yeah. But as far as, I'm sure there are further techniques, even further than that, that I have no idea and have not even tried to tap into. Yeah, you know? I don't, I don't. I have never engaged in a conversation about it, honestly. Yeah, that's a written me neither, actually. Yeah. But I'm sure they're like psychological. I think it's psychological. Yeah. yeah. As well as. Besides Ocean Vaughn. Again, shout out to Ocean yes. Vaughn. You guys should look this person up. They are an incredible writer yeah. and speaker. Okay. Speaker. Words. Yeah. Incredible. It, it was. Yeah. And unforgettable. Can we, can we just shout out the, the podcast? Yeah, it's you? On Being with Krista Tippett um she interviews a wide range of everyone every being it's on being um and she uh starts with a initial questions a question to everyone that she's interviewing which is um about spirituality through listening to on being with krista Tippett, all of the answers were so different and it didn't even encompass religion. It, it encompassed a feeling. And that's, and that's kind of like yeah. what art is. It's, it's also a feeling yeah. and no that. one has the same feeling. Like that's, 
that's you that's unique to you and that's why that's why it's so interesting that's a uniqueness that's really hard to like pin down too which is why it's so beautiful when two people create together yeah or more it's just like an incredible thing to see or hear or or feel yeah this was a really great yeah Start. I really yes like yeah no this was really fun yeah. um many more I don't know do we want to move to the music performance piece portion definitely, definitely Natalie will now be singing and accompanying herself on the guitar to Martha Wainwright's song bloody motherfucking asshole There's no more fire 
Thank that you. That was so incredible. That was Thank my you. first time hearing that song from you. Yeah. Um, and we were just chatting a little off camera. So, so we should roll back a bit, but I really loved that line. Mm -hmm. uh, men with their guitars sitting in bars, stomping their feet. Can you just like talk a little bit about what you yeah. think, how you interpret? That? Yeah. So this song, it's called Bloody Motherfucking Asshole. And it's by Martha Wainwright. Um, and in all honesty, I don't know that many of her other pieces, but this piece really struck a chord with me. Um, and it goes along the line that you just mentioned, which is, um, it starts out with, oh, I wish, I wish, I wish I was born a man so I could learn how to stand up for myself. Like those guys with guitars I've been watching in bars who've been stepping their feet to a different beat. And so um, the way that I really identify with this song is that this, this woman has been trying to fit into the music scene, fit into scenes that are typically um, more accepted when men do it. Mm -hmm. So this can really apply to way I personally also feel is like um, hiking or solo traveling. Um, it's just a different reality as a woman. And so I really like this piece um, because she points out, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit sad, you know, that she feels like she might need to physically look like a man to get respect in these places. Wow. And it shouldn't have to be that way. And, and that shouldn't have to be the case. And um, there's, an, there's the chorus that I also really like, which is like, uh, I will not pretend, I will not put on a smile. I will not say I'm all right for you when all I wanted was to be good. And the way I really feel that line is like, sometimes I try to be like myself in certain situations and, um, sometimes that's not okay with, with men. Like they yeah. want me to be cute or they want me to mm. be more docile and they, they don't want the version of me. And so I feel like Martha Wainwright, you know, when she says these words is like, I'm not gonna pretend, I'm not gonna put, us, mm -hmm. put on a smile and I'm not gonna say I'm all right for you because all I'm trying to do is like be my authentic self, yeah. you know, to do yeah. everything in truth she says but that's that's the that's the reality i think you know for women is that you can try to do everything in truth but some spaces you weren't made for you and a lot of spaces weren't made for you yeah 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 i feel that so deeply um I just fucking love this song. This song, it's incredible. This, and it's so cathartic, the ending when you just repeat feel. bloody motherfucking <laughs> asshole. Like, it's actually, I genuinely feel better after saying that because in my mind, I'm literally just like, fuck the patriot. Like, fuck all these men in my mind who in my past, I felt disrespected by and I should have not been put in, in situations like that. I could feel it. I could yeah. feel it when you were singing it and smiling and I could like <laughs> see it in your face and it was visceral in the mm -hmm. best way. Um, and so, so, so relatable. Mm -hmm. It's so frustrating when you're in a situation. I've been in a lot of academic situations where I've felt that I had to make myself smaller or make mm -hmm. my ideas smaller mm -hmm. to accommodate to the man in the room, which was typically the professor. I've only ever had, I only ever consider mentors from my college career, if you will, female professors that I've had that wow. I can relate to. Yeah. Um, 
which is frustrating. Uh, but also, yeah, just that feeling when you're in a room and you can feel yourself getting smaller. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Sometimes we choose that feeling because we want to be safe. And that's the thing I think men don't understand as yeah. well. We choose safety over maybe authenticity. We choose safety over speaking out. Yeah. Um, not to mention the fact that we've been brainwashed since we were little to, you know, accommodate the men in the environment. So at this point, I even feel like I don't even do it that often, but sometimes I catch myself doing it and I feel like it's subconscious in a way. I, and it, it deeply yeah, disturbs me. Yeah. You know? And I, I still feel that. And I, can feel unnecessarily intimidated by older men sometimes. Mm. Um, and I remember I used to journal somewhat when I was younger, but um, there was this entry in my journal, which was like, boys are sporty. Like I wanna be sporty. Mm. And to me, like it meant that I couldn't, I couldn't be myself, which yeah. I chose to identify as a woman. And um, just feeling like I was lacking something. Mm because I was a woman in a way. And that's, that's so not the truth. And um, I think like you were saying before, like representation has a huge influence on that, you know, um, respect for female sports. You don't, you don't see oh it the God, same way. No. Um, she touches upon this. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming her gender now, um, yeah. but they touch upon this and they say, I forget exactly what the line was, but you were saying or interpreting it as mm -hmm. when they feel they need to maybe present themselves in a more masculine way to gain yeah. respect in a masculine industry. Yeah. And I found myself doing that a lot in the restaurant industry. Mm -hmm. I was a server for way too long. <laughs> uh, and I found myself, it's a very, you know, male dominated industry. Yeah. Um, I have so much respect for any females in the industry, be them servers or line cooks or bartenders, whoever they may be, because it's really, really frustrating to try to grow your skills in that environment. Mm -hmm. And I found myself actually changing my language and changing my body behavior. Yeah. And especially with like the environment that I had control over, which was me and my coworkers, yeah. I found myself being very kind of not growy, but masculine like being louder trying yeah. to take up more space so that I wouldn't get stepped on or harassed yeah. sexually or you know talking down to or treated like I didn't know what I was doing um and that was really exhausting it was really exhausting it felt like I had to be that person mm -hmm. to feel comfortable yeah and where I worked there was a certain point where they actually required you to wear a dress as a server and so it made me even more so feel like I needed to have this like masculine, um, I have this weird memory mm -hmm. of we were having like an industry night, which is when a lot of people in the industry in your community come and, and hang out at the bar that you're working at for whatever reason, you, you may have an event, there may be some people bartending there that are popular, whatever. And I was headed towards the back and I saw this guy that I met like one time and I was headed towards the back and I was in like a really short dress and I was really busy mm -hmm. and I had to go to the kitchen and he walked by me and I saw him kind of look me up and down. So I said something to the extent of like, hey man, how's it going? Like so bro-y and yeah. weird and like not how I would talk. And he made fun of me and he like mocked me. He was like, hey man, what's up? You know, kind of thing. 
And I was like, whatever, like, at least I kind of made it known that I'm not here for you. Yeah. And I look back at that. And in the moment, I was like, kind of embarrassed. I'm like, that was dumb and weird. <laughs> but I think when I dive a little deeper into it, I was protecting myself in a way. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think we should really have like, in our next. Yeah. This, yeah. But like, one quick thing that you reminded me of, and I was recently talking with a friend about this is like, the invisible things that women do um, to feel safe in situations mm-hmm. or to feel like they have power in situations where men might not even know women are choosing to speak in a different way because right, right. of them being in the environment. Mm-hmm. And like, it kind of blows my mind that men don't realize this, but women, we just know, we, we know, and like, yeah. we, we can talk about it in that way. But um, yeah, like there's just so many things women do. So many things down to like micro behaviors, yeah. which is scary to think about. Yeah. I definitely want to have an episode about this. Yeah. Let's unpack this. And now Michelle will be performing an original spoken word piece called Tomorrow's Girl. I thought I had more time. Now I keep looking at the dust collecting on the bookshelf of my mind. See, I daydream like it's my day job. Fell prey to the waiting game. It keeps me trapped with hungry eyes. And I play make-believe with the idea that tomorrow's girl will be bolder. Tomorrow's girl will know more. Tomorrow's girl will reach into herself and tear out pages that echo untold stories across oceans stained in blood and ink. She'll speak up and tell her story. She'll speak up and tell her mother's story. That girl will step center stage and claim the narrative. That girl. I bend into my fear once more like downward dog. Stretch into its arms. Three breaths here. The problem is, I told the world I'm out the door, but I haven't left the shower. Feels like half past my hour to say more, but my mind stays riddled with what ifs, and I tread lightly. Sidestep on any semblance of desire, so I stay tired. But when I want to feel more like tomorrow's girl, I put on electric blue eyeliner. Toco samba na cozinha, faço louça com coração aberto e me lembro, I am my mother's daughter. And then I tell tomorrow's girl to wait for me. I tell her it won't be long, but I'm speaking in Latina time, I know this. I know to dedicate yourself to what's never said is a contract made only in fine print. Looks like my pen is out of ink, and no one will read this anyway. That was amazing. Um, I have heard Michelle perform this piece multiple times. So and times. I have to say every single time is very different. It's like the number one thing. Yeah. Um, and this time you were just in it in the moment. You were present throughout every word that you said. That feels really <laughs> it, it, was, it was incredible. Um, and I never get tired of hearing it. Um, but I am curious, yeah. and I don't know if we've gone over this, but I'm really curious to hear uh, your backstory and how this piece developed. And then I'd like to hear, 
because I do know that you have taken some time to write this in the past, but I'm also interested after that initial question, mm -hmm. but I'm also interested to hear how you relate to this piece now, or maybe how things have changed mm -hmm. since you've written this piece. So both of those. Yeah. Um, I wrote this piece like a while ago, actually. Mm -hmm. I think I wrote it in college, maybe my junior year I started writing it. Mm -hmm. And it largely came from a space where, again, like I struggle with my identity. I struggle mm -hmm. with feeling like myself sometimes. I've also struggled and continue to struggle with um, depression and that runs in my family. Mm -hmm. So there are days and have been days, and especially when I was going through college because it was such a stressful time that I didn't feel like myself. I completely disassociated on many days too. And like, I think I just kept imagining myself in my mind as this like better version of myself. Mm -hmm. And I kept telling myself like, I can't wait to be that person. Yeah. I can't wait to get there. I can't wait to feel those things. I can't wait to act this way, you know, and not be like, a, B, and C, not be anxious and stressed and like strange or feel weird in my own skin. Like, I don't like mm -hmm. that feeling. Yeah. And I think that poem largely came from that place. Um, and I stopped writing it and it was really different when I first started writing it. The first half was generally the same, but mm -hmm. the second half really changed when I started editing it. I have all these poems in my laptop that are just like lost <laughs> in the sauce of my laptop. And sometimes I kind of look through them and I'm like, hey, there's actually something there. Maybe I should tap into that. Yeah. And clearly I still relate to it in a way because mm -hmm. I was able to build off of it. Yeah. So to your other point, I don't think I exactly feel the, the feelings. I don't exactly feel the way that I did mm -hmm. when I wrote it, but I still do feel the message, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Like I don't feel as depressed as I was when I wrote it. Yeah. Um, or as disassociated when I wrote it, but I do still feel sometimes not completely like myself. Yeah. Um, and I do still feel sometimes a longing for like tomorrow's girl for yeah. a better version of myself. That's really interesting that you said um you wrote this when you were experiencing depression, yeah. some of it. Um because the way that I hear it, um, I actually wouldn't think that. Mm -hmm. Like I would hear you thinking about the future, not that this is coming from a, a, a dark place, but like your mind is hopeful. Like your mind is actually putting you in this yeah. tomorrow's girl place. So I, I didn't know actually mm -hmm. that was part of what brought you to writing this piece um yeah because I think it speaks largely to what we were saying earlier about how I've always used art as a coping mechanism mm -hmm. and largely have always used it as a path or a way like out of the bad feelings that I'm feeling yeah you know so although I do write I more journal about the bad feelings that I'm feeling but when yeah. I'm creating a poem I think it largely in my mind uses it as an avenue to like get out of that space. Yeah. And it, it is in many ways a moment of clarity, maybe, mm. maybe not always, but sometimes. Um, and I think that's why I work so hard at it. And like, yeah. it just takes me out of that for a moment and allows me to imagine. And I think mm. imagination is our also our deepest gift because if we couldn't imagine past the point that we are at, mm -hmm. I, you know, we should be present but I think imagining past the point of where you are allows you the ability to like shift the way that you need to and yeah and you know heal like the way that you need yeah. to yeah 
That was really beautiful. Thank you. What you said. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The other thing I wanted to say about this piece is um, like how relatable this, this piece is. Like, I feel like you tapped into a feeling that, I mean, I definitely identify with, but I think the world identifies with because I feel like we're constantly bombarded with tomorrow's girl. Like we're mm. constantly bombarded with like, so you're going to do this trip and then you're going to transform into this girl. And like, <laughs> you're going to buy this makeup. If you get this bag, you're going to be her. Yeah. And I feel like um, society like makes an image of what tomorrow's girl is. That's so fascinating. I love that you said that. And I'm going to take a leap and say, where your mindset is at is largely social media too, right? Like seeing images of people that are your age and your peers, but you don't feel like that person at all. Yeah. And the illusion of social media that somehow being that person will validate you more. Mm -hmm. Something I wanted to touch upon earlier that you now reminded me of Mm -hmm. is um, I also think artists, we can all relate I think I'm making a bold statement here, but at least I feel like we can both relate based on what you said. Um, no, I think I think we can largely relate in that art was also a space where we felt seen. You said that, mm. right, when you were singing. And I felt that too at church. I felt that as a little yeah. girl. Um, and it felt so good to be seen. It felt so good to be accepted and not only accepted, but applauded mm-hmm. and um, respected and admired. And I think in a way, um, I think in a large way, social media has commodified that, right? Like being accepted and admired. But I also think as artists, when we share our art, we're looking for connection, Yeah. right? Maybe it's not always acceptance, but we're looking for someone to like connect with what we're saying. And the biggest heartbreak is if you're in a room full of people and no one connects to what you're saying. It's just so lonely and it's so hard and... I find people who continue to create, right? Again, I really think we're all born artists. So to call someone an artist and someone else not an artist, I deeply don't agree with that. But I think we're all seeking that that connection and to be seen. I think we continue to create deeply to be seen. Yeah. No, and and I think like the last thing that um, I always really like about your pieces is that you... um, you include your like your Brazilian identity mm. and you include your American identity. Like um, I think it's really beautiful that you choose to include Portuguese in your pieces. Um, and I wanna know if you wanna ex- say anything else about that um, or about your choice mm-hmm. in that. Yeah, that's a really good question. Honestly, I don't know that it was largely like a conscious decision. Yeah. I think um, when I'm writing, parts of my writing come to me in Portuguese and parts Mm -hmm. of them come in English. And that's not because Portuguese is my primary language. It's not. Mm -hmm. English is. Yeah. But there's some things that I feel more deeply in Portuguese. Yeah. If that makes sense. And when I write it, it conveys to me more clearly in Portuguese than it does in English. This piece doesn't have a lot of Portuguese, but there are other pieces Mm -hmm. like that, you know, that have a lot more Portuguese in them. And I think I, I'm also in a large way trying to validate my entire identity, mm-hmm. again, because I use art as a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So for me, to, I, I use writing to explore my own identity. And when I'm writing, especially in this piece, maybe I'm trying to create a holistic self, like a whole mm. version of myself. Yeah. So I don't, I'm trying not to leave parts of myself out. Um, and I'm trying to validate parts of myself that in a lot of spaces have been invalidated Yeah. by, you know, like I'm writing this piece, I'm creating this, I have power over this creation. Yeah. No one else in this moment can tell me that, um, that I'm not Brazilian. No one else in this moment can tell me that I'm not speaking Portuguese well enough. Mm-hmm. You know, people can comment afterwards and like think their thoughts and things like that. But in this moment, right, like in this brief Mm-hmm. period I have control over that so I think that's where it comes from I yeah I really like what you said about like I have control uh, over my art like it, it's a form of of control yeah um, yeah yeah awesome I think we're wicked over time yeah <laughs> <laughs> as we do yes. um but I just want to thank everyone who is still listening <laughs> Yeah, and still with us. Thank you so much for yeah. being here. Um, thank you so much for being open. And this was a beautiful conversation. Yeah, and thank you. And I know we always enjoy these conversations, yeah. but it's really great to, you know, film them actually, honestly, for our own benefit as yeah. well. You know, um, mm-hmm. this is a definitely a special moment. And um, yeah, thank you for, for doing this with me and being that person. Absolutely. We got this. Um, So stay tuned for our next episode of Unchecked Identity. Peace out, everyone. Bye. No, 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 no.